Welcome to the Open Door Policy. Each week on this podcast, we sit down with a different guest and talk about a letter. Archbishop Vigneron's Unleash the Gospel Pastoral Letter. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. All right. Be about it. Each guest we have on this show we think is living it out in a new and exciting way. Before we get started, if you like what you hear and you want to help us be part of this movement to unleash the gospel, be sure to subscribe and share our podcast with your family and friends. And while you're at it, leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This time on Open Door Policy, we sit down with Father John Ricardo. Father John is a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit who is embarking on a new ministry called Acts 29. All right, another wonderful episode of Open Door Policy, hanging out with Danielle Center and Father John Ricardo. How are you guys? Hey, friends. Doing I'm great. great. I'm also great. Look at two wonderfully joyful people. <laughs> yeah, amen. Danielle, what's bringing you joy these days? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so this one starts on a bad note, but today my my like nice, cute shoes met a huge mishap in the basement of St. Anne Parish, and uh, so my coworkers went to the dollar store and bought me these flip-flops. <laughs> This is really nice of them. So, so uh, I'd like to shout out to them. All right. That, yeah, I was just like, dude, joyful. what generous souls. They look nice. Thanks. They they did a good job. Oh, so, yeah. I see them now. Yeah. yeah. Great. Father John, how, how are you today? I'm phenomenal. Good. Are you ready for rapid fire questions? Oh, I can't wait. All right. Father John, number one, what is your most used emoji? Oh, my most used emoji. It's got to be uh, a panda bear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What would be your walk-up music? Let's say uh, Tonight Show. Oh, nice. What is your favorite piece of religious art? Uh, let's see. How about The Calling of Matthew by Caravaggio? Nice. What do you think is overrated? Money. What literary character would you want to be friends with? Jean Valjean. What have I done, sweet Jesus? What have I done? And what's your favorite hymn? Oh, God, Beyond All Praising. Good call. And what season would you be? Oh, I would definitely be winner. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in winner, but I am winner. What is the best piece of advice you have ever been given? Be great. What's your favorite Bible story? Uh, raising of Lazarus. And what non-traditional pet would you have? A panda. A panda. Uh, absolutely. What's the panda theme? Oh, I love pandas. Have you ever seen one in yeah. real life? Oh, I've seen almost every one in uh, the U.S. Really? Yeah. So uh, what? What it's like is God's living stuffed animal? <laughs> <laughs> what is the context for sending the panda emoji? Is that? Like, oh, it could be anything. Is that like a thumbs up in your mind? Is that a like? Could be goodbye? you had a baby, you get a panda. Could be <laughs> uh, hey, nice homily, you get a panda. Oh, it's like could it's be like bad joy. homily, panda. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just, Sounds like just, currency to me, dude. Yeah. Also, Jean Valjean. That's a that is a thick book. Had to read it in high school. Here's a thick book. Yeah, yeah. How, abridged or unabridged? We read unabridged. Good. man. We went went right. for it. So, why Jean Valjean? Oh, he's such a Christ figure to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but not the bishop. No, not, I, mean, I mean, just, the, I mean, more than a Christ figure, he's, a, he's an incredible story of redemption. Yeah. So to see a man who goes through all that he goes through and who God gets a hold of at his life, um, and then he brings about the transformation of um, Javert, yeah, I just think he's an extraordinary character. From Les Miserables, right? Yeah. Correct. Just want to make sure we're all on. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. same French. Yeah. Les Miserables. Uh, Be great as advice. Is that like an accumulation of what people have told you, or was there one person in your life who 
kind of gave you that advice? Two people. Um, so they never they never actually said the words. They just said it to me in their um, lives. One was John Paul. The other was my dad. Hmm. Awesome. That's awesome. So I have signed. I mean, that's what I'm wearing around my bracelet, right? So I give oh, this, yeah. give I this to there. all the kids when they graduated from Good Counsel this year. I say it repeatedly to kids at graduation. I mean, this is it's the shortest uh, expression I know of for what we're made for. Like, I just want to be great. Well, when I hear "be great," I hear "don't be mediocre." Ah. Yeah, and that's John Paul, right? Yeah, yeah. Never settle for mediocrity. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Wow, it's like I, I, we have him here my, in this Mine studio. always sounds like Count Chocula when I do it, so. That's right. It's okay. Now, you are actually the first guest to say a season besides fall. So, winter. Can you can you talk into that a little bit? Yes. By the way, I take no responsibility for this for these question. questions. For yeah. this one. The other ones I'll own. So, you know, I kind of joke somewhat with people uh, who were closer with me. I'm kind of like Eeyore. Interesting. Yeah. So winter, I can't stand winter, mm. but it um, it suits my demeanor <laughs> oftentimes because probably going to rain, you know. So. Would, do you think other people would say that of you? Depends on who you ask. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I think some would, yeah. I don't know about that. Now, tonight's show, are you, do you like, you just like the music or are you a, also a fan of the show itself? No, I'm not a fan of the show. I haven't watched it in years. Ah. But I, when I was a kid growing up, um, Johnny Carson was uh, someone I watched all the time. It meant I could stay up late and that was great when I was young. And so, Johnny Carson, was he before Jay Leno? He was, yeah. Okay. He would have been the founder, right? Okay. Well, of the Tonight second, Show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, man. I want to ask a question that was from a previous season. What did you want to be when you, like, when you were a child? What did you want to be when you grew up? Shortstop for the New York Yankees. Oh, man. The Yankees. Yeah. The Yankees. And then I wanted to be a broadcaster. Hey, look at here you hey. are. Hey. All right, last bit yeah. here. Uh, the story of the raising of Lazarus. What What does that say in your life? Why is that your favorite gospel story? You know, I think of that passage uh, all the time. Um, obviously, we use it a lot, you and me, at funerals and, and, and whatnot. Chip. I remember uh, there's a powerful uh, – when my mom was very sick when I was uh, living overseas – I remember praying with that passage, and uh, in particular, I was praying one day with the words when Jesus says, uh, I'm the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me um, will never die. Do you believe this? I remember saying to him, yes, Lord, I, I do, but my demeanor was very winterish at the time, <sighs> and I felt like immediately I heard the Lord say, can anybody tell? Hmm. Mm. Okay. And so um, that passage has always just spoke to me. Like, I really do believe that the Lord brings the dead back to life. I mean, he's done it in my life, whatever. So, But I want people to know that by the way I act and talk and look and whatever, and it's not always the case. So it's a bit of a challenge to yourself to Mm -hmm. be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Father John, it's so good to have you here. Would you be so kind as to tell us a little bit about your story, um, how God has been working in your life recently or a little bit in the past too? I feel two things right now, especially as I close my time at Our Lady Good Counsel and then prepare to do this work with uh, Acts 29 that we're starting. Um, The two things are, I feel like my vocation has come full circle Hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, Talk about that. And then second, I don't know about you, Padre, but... I just sense more and more from the Lord, like he is like asking me to take his hand and step afresh into the adventure that is discipleship. 
Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, re- I really just feel like for us as an archdiocese, um, we're doing this certainly under the archbishop's lead, but I feel personally like God is just inviting me to rely on him in a brand new way uh, and in a missionary kind of way with yeah. this. I, I mean, I've, I've known a, I'm 23 years a priest. I've been a pastor all that time, but I've been in parish life most of that time, three years at uh, St. John Center, uh, two years studying, but the rest of it's been parish life. And now yeah. this is a, a new chapter, uh, something different that he's asking me to do. And um, I'm just kind of ecstatic uh, and on the edge of my seat with having to rely on him in a new way. So so the passage, you know, where uh, in Acts, where it says, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry. So there's yeah. these mm-hmm. people who are sitting in the room and they're praying and then Paul and Barnabas get sent to do something different. And then I picture like Paul and Barnabas <laughs> look at each other and go like, let's go get coffee. And they go out and get coffee and they're like, now what Wait, the heck what? do we do? <laughs> like, where do we, go? where do we go? All right, we've been set apart. <laughs> now what? You know, right. and, and then how did you choose where to go? Right. 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 And so that's the full circle piece for me. So uh, when I went to seminary, when I felt like the Lord called me to priesthood, um, I didn't go to church, um, at least not regularly. And um, since since I didn't go to church, I didn't know any priests, yeah. really. And I so priestly life, my vision of priestly life was Paul. Um, I can remember where I was praying in a room when I felt like, I think I'm going to apply for seminary. I don't know why in the world I would do this, but I think that's what God's calling me to do. Mm. And again, my my vision of priestly life was him. Yeah, and just his travels and his pouring into people and founding communities and whatnot, and so he's uh, he's one of those people who obviously took up the be great theme rather seriously and was. So I call on him a lot. Is that part of what you mean by your vocation coming full circle? That you're at a point now where you're like being set apart to do something unknown? Yeah. Well, it, I'm at least. Um, I mean, the Archbishop has been gracious enough to let me do this. Um, can, and maybe talk for a minute yeah, about what, what this yeah. is. Yeah, Yeah. so Acts 29 is a nonprofit organization, which is really um, set aside to do work with pastors and their teams yeah. to help parishes reclaim their missionary identity. Okay. So it's really, it's got three key uh, thrusts, if you will. The first is um, just to help pastors and pastor or and uh, their teams, again, kind of see the time in which we're living, that it's it's not a coincidence that we're alive right now. Like God destined us to live now at this moment with all that's going on in the culture, in the church, wherever. Um, so really give them a biblical vision yeah. for that. Second, um, to really pour into them to help them become healthy as an organization because most, most organizations aren't healthy. That's why they don't succeed. Lots of parishes aren't healthy, mm-hmm. um, and we know that. And, and when you say healthy, you mean like trusting each other in leadership and having a clear vision and like discerning all the different things that come up to say, okay, we could spend our time doing lots of different things. What are we going to focus on? Right. So right? it's it's very much um, formed by uh, and influenced by Pat Lencioni's work and yeah. uh, The Advantage and the work that we did here at The Advantage uh, when the Amazing Parish Conference came and whatnot. So just trying to pour into parishes to help them become healthy. I wasn't um, that wasn't something that was anywhere near on my radar a number of years ago. It's very much on my radar now. And I'm convinced of how um, paramount it is for parishes to be renewed. So our vision, my experience as pastor is the parish is like the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The staff is like the spinal cord. Mm-hmm. And if the spinal cord's pinched, mm-hmm. the body doesn't function well. 
many, I'll just leave it at that, (laughs) (laughs) parish staffs are more than a bit pinched. Mm -hmm. And so we want to try to help them thrive, you know, so that the body can function. And all of that is for the purpose of, so that's a means, the organizational health piece. It's a means to an end. The end is to really work with parishes to help them create what we would call a roadmap for evangelization and discipleship, which is unique to their own culture, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like a cookie cutter mentality, or you guys should do this, this, and this, because there is no one way to do this. All that the Archbishop's asking us to do, there's no one way to do it. What's going to work in Pontiac isn't going to work in Plymouth, isn't going to work in Hazel Park. But there are key principles that we can apply and, and then help you figure out how does this look at wherever we are given our own culture. So that's Acts 29. So by being uh, allowed to do this for these next, I don't know, four years is what he gave me, I feel like very much I'm a missionary. And uh, I find it really invigorating personally. I feel like I got to rely on Jesus in a brand new way, which is great. When did you start feeling this call to the to switch from being a pastor to something more? What did that feel like? Um, it was about a year and a half ago. I remember just asking the Archbishop if he would be open to considering talking about something different. And uh, he graciously said yes. And then I presented some things to him and he said, great. And he sat on it like he always does. You know, <laughs> I'm like, well, why don't you just give me an answer now? <laughs> yeah, that's not how he works. And um, so he, uh, we, we talked about it for a set of months and I prayed about it with my spiritual director and he gave me some really helpful feedback and this is where it landed. So, uh, You don't strike me as a guy who gets scared of of these things and I think your boldness is one of, you know, uh, a gift, a charism that a lot of people admire about you. Is this a little intimidating, a little scary, or is it just like full on, like, all right, Lord, I'm in your hands, you know, uh, sink or swim with you? Um, so it's not scary. Um, I mean, again, the beauty for us as priests anyway, if the archbishop says yes to this, then I feel like, okay, this is of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise he wouldn't have said yes. So, so there's I've, that other level of discernment, right? right? That it's not all, all yeah. on your shoulders to figure out. Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, at peace because of that. Um, but it's not parish life. And so as I prepare to leave parish life, I'm aware of how like immensely different my day-to-day routine is going to be. And yeah. right. So I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for, uh, I'm not scared, but I, I feel like the Lord continues to tell me um, this is going to be a major shift. So get ready. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. I think. I hope. Yeah. He's, he's a good God. We he can is. trust him. I recently heard a really good quote by uh, blessed Mary Elizabeth Hesselblad. And the quote was, dear God, I do not ask to see the path, and I will close my eyes as long as I know that you will hold my hand. And that Amen. just, like, blew my mind a little bit. Like, not even asking to see the path. Just like, okay, fine. I'll close my eyes. So, but that's what discipleship looks like sometimes, you know? Like, that's right. Okay. And and it's your, you know, it's the quote you have in your office from Joan of Arc, which, right. I mean, quite frankly, that's sealed very much how um, I think we're all supposed to feel. You know, like, I am not afraid. God is with me. Mm-hmm. I was made for this. I was born for this. Not because, like, I'm something. I'm, I'm Zippo, you know. <laughs> but God's everything. Yeah. And and again, like, I, this is a theme that I keep going back to again and again. Like, it is God's desire and providence that we're alive right now. This is not a chance or a coincidence. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you're talking about all the challenges the church is facing right now, right? Mm-hmm. All the lack of 
um, like trust people have in the church or all the all the mess we wish like if only we didn't have to deal with that there could mm. be all this other stuff we, we're doing but I, I feel like you're you're talking about like we were made to be in this time right now um, to take up that challenge. Yeah, both the ecclesial challenge, which is a massive challenge, um, and the cultural challenge of um, we're living amongst the people who genuinely don't know the gospel. So the way the archbishop puts it, like they think this is ordinary news. Yeah. But it's not ordinary news. Right. It's extraordinary news. They've just never heard it. And so it falls to you and me to have the privilege and the joy and the honor of sharing what it is that God has done for us in Jesus with people who've never heard it. And when they hear it, everything changes. And, and part of the hearing it is hearing the power of the gospel, right. not just hearing the words of the story, right? Hearing right. it with conviction and hearing it um, through the testimony of someone who's really living it out. Right. Thanks so much. You're welcome so much. So, Father John, we wanted to talk with you today about Unleash the Gospel. That's kind of what our the whole podcast is about. And we wanted to look at Marker 3.4, not 4.3, as <laughs> I originally said. Of course not. 3.4, the Holy Eucharist, about uh, the role of the Eucharist in evangelization. Uh, I know uh, Eucharistic adoration, exposition has been a key role in your ministry as a priest, in your own personal life. Uh, can you just talk about where the role of the Eucharist and exposition fits in in, uh, in evangelization or in the life of a disciple? Yeah. It, I mean, two things come to mind for me. One is uh, personally and then uh, maybe as a parish, you know? So the yeah. personal thing is, it's I think it's Fulton Sheen's line, right, where he would say, in the same way that you would sit outside uh, in the sun without recognizing it, your skin begins to change colors, you're just probably burned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, wow, that anti-Irish yeah. sense <laughs> I know, it just came me. out. And, sorry. <laughs> I'm Irish too. It just doesn't oh, work. Okay, yeah. It's overcome by the Italians. Um, so sitting in the presence of the S-O-N and the Blessed Sacrament, your, your soul begins to change. And um, you asked earlier for advice or advice that I've given or been given. The advice I would give to somebody would be spend an hour a day in front of the Eucharist. Like that'll change your life. Mm -hmm. But as a pastor in parishes, like the way I describe uh, the Eucharist to other guys is I find exposition to be something like the wrecking ball. So for, for pastoral ministry. Yeah. So even if it's just you or two people in, in the chapel in front of the Eucharist exposed, um, I had an encounter with the Lord very early on in my life as a priest where uh, I was just floored by seeing the graces of exposition. I didn't grow up with it. I never saw it. So I wasn't trying to grab onto something that came from, you know, ancient times or whatever. Yeah. Um, it was totally foreign to me. And I just remember seeing – it was I, I don't know if it was a vision or what, but I, I saw the Lord standing on the altar and he just kind of turned to me and said, John, don't you see how easy this is? Uh. You just have to put me out and I'll work. And from that moment on, that was 22 years ago, everywhere I've gone, I've just always tried to do exposition – and it takes all the pressure off. Like, <laughs> I'll let God be God. I'm just going to tell people to go sit with God. Yeah. And the fruit that I've just seen from that has been massive. Uh, but I think it also paves the way, you know, as we talk about bringing about transformations in our parishes to become more and more what God wants them to be, missionary. Um, if if guys aren't doing exposition, I, I couldn't encourage them more to try it, even if it's just for a little bit of time each day. Yeah. 
Danielle has like I know for me Eucharistic adoration was a huge part of my own personal spiritual life and just being able to hear the Lord's voice. Uh, did oh, you yeah. grow up going to adoration oh, or is that no, something no, no. We that's didn't. been part of your life? God bless God bless my parents who probably listen to this, but uh Generation JP2, raising our parents Catholic, right? So um, <laughs> we uh, we didn't grow up, but it's something that I encountered in high school, and I've uh, I've learned to bring into my life. And our friend Father Paul Snyder um, has yeah. daily um, adoration before Mass, so yep. adoration at 6.30, Mass at 7.30. Unfortunately, I don't always make it. I can't make it every day, but it's it's been so powerful just to, like, come and see it. And actually, honestly, like, watch Father Paul there, because even though, like, I'm coming in, like, a little bit late, he's there every single day praying for the city, and I'm like, I know that this has major implications for our community, for for the families who worship here. I mean... And you can see the fruit there. Right. It's powerful for me to watch someone else be faithful, and then there's, like, you know, God bless her. I'm sure she's not a listener. There's this tiny (laughs) Filipino woman who, like, walks there um, in, like, dragon PJs, and I... And she's in the front row. There's these veterans, these fathers. It's really impressive and amazing to see. So, yeah. Send me a picture of the dragon PJs. I want to see those. (laughs) Well, uh, I think you're getting to a point, too, that uh, there's a a spiritual power of adoration, but there's also like an instructive power. Uh, And Mm -hmm. and I think you're both talking about this a bit, that like just seeing that our role as priests or our, our role as disciples is to take time to just be with Jesus. There's nothing more important than just sitting there, being with him, listening to his word and receiving from him. And all we do comes out of that reception rather than like me being the most important thing that could, That's right. uh, that could, you know, me being the most important agent in the church. It's really receiving from the Lord and letting him work through me. And Father Paul said this past weekend on a homily, he was like, the faith isn't taught, it's modeled, yeah, right? It's so for me mm-hmm. to yep. like see that this priest is like, this is the start of my day every yep. day, and it's available yeah. if anyone wants to join. But if no one joins, because there have been times where I show up and he's like, I'm 20 minutes late, he's the only one in there, but I know he was there at 630. That's right. really powerful to see right. that in someone else. Hey, you were talking also a little bit earlier about Sherry Waddell and a quote that she had. Sherry Ann Weddle is an American author and speaker, considered to be one of the most inspiring speakers on evangelism. Can you tell us a little bit about that quote and what it means for you? Yeah, so, you know, like the Archbishop in his letter, he he, uh, he obviously quotes what we talk about all the time in the church, that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our lives. And I remember reading uh, Forming Intentional Disciples, and I'm pretty sure it's where she says it. Um, she just says, um, you don't happen to arrive at a summit. And so if you live in Colorado, where she lives— you hear the word summit and you immediately have something in mind like Pikes Peak or right. whatever, right? And it takes effort to get up there. You don't just wake up and find yourself at the mountaintop. And right. so in uh, flip-flops. In flip-flops. Yeah. Well, e- dragon e- even right. brand new flip-flops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they're brand new. I think they were uh, brought out of the store, but um, yeah. <laughs> but so so it is. I think this was my experience as a kid growing up and even into my 20s in mass. Like I think most people I don't know. I, most people who come to church on Sunday, they sit there and they're like, something's going on there. Right. But I don't know what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, the Mass is just not intuitive, right? Right. And, and the lectionary doesn't help because people aren't biblically fluent. Right. And so they're reading three disjointed passages. 
And then you're going to get up and say <laughs> something and hopefully it's not going to be too long and it's going to be kind of funny. And then I'm out of here in time for the Lions game. Yeah. And so uh, there's just a lot of work to do to try to help people understand what's going on when God gathers us together around this altar, which is the first thing to understand that that we're there because God has called us there. Like that's actually why we're there. Mm-hmm. It's his initiative, yeah. whether we're aware of it or not. We're responding to his invitation to be there, to be nourished by his word, which is speaking to us today. It's an event that's happening and then nourished in the Eucharist so as to become like what we eat and then sent out into a world that's literally dying of despair. So how do we help people, all right, if we're talking about the average uh, mass-going Catholics, maybe every week or maybe most of the time who kind of come and something's going on there, but I don't quite know uh, what it is. Uh, how do we help people begin to appreciate or understand, you know, the Archbishop writes the phrase, uh, Eucharistic amazement right. right through our preaching and through our catechesis. How do we rekindle that? So the only captive audience that you and I have, if we can use that expression, is Mass on Sunday. Yeah. And so if that's the place where everybody is at the parish, uh, at least who's going to church, then in my mind anyway, that's why it makes sense to preach in series. Oh, right. So to take a theme. So maybe, you know, you're going to take five weeks in the summer or during Advent, during the, the four weeks of Advent or whatever it might be. And I'm going to say, like, I'm going to just teach the Mass. And maybe we're just going to focus right now for four weeks on what happens when God's word's proclaimed. Like, why do we read the Old Testament? And then why do we read Paul? And then what's happening when we read the Gospels? And, and try to understand, like Abbot Jeremy Driscoll talks about, the Gospel is an event which is being proclaimed, and it's happening right now. Yeah. So Jesus is in the house, and he's doing what it is he did then. It's both retelling history— and it's happening now. He's saying whatever he's saying in the gospel to me personally right now. Representing it. Yeah. yeah. And it's very personal and it's yeah. very direct. Um, so I think we need to be intentional about educating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then little things like we do at Good Counsel. I sold this from a friend of mine down in Ohio. Um, like I've never personally been a big fan of the whole like, hey, stand up, say hi to your neighbor thing, although that's important. But I am a real big fan of, hey, stand up, say hi to your neighbor, and ask them, can I pray for something for you mm-hmm. at this Mass? Because uh, I think it's Vatican II talks, it uses the expression of silent spectators, hmm. which I think is what a lot of people, well-intentioned people, yeah. come to Mass like. Because yeah. I, I don't know I'm supposed to be doing something. I thought you were the one who offered Mass. You mean I can offer Mass <laughs> too? I had no idea I can offer Mass. Wow, this is awesome. Because right. that's what priesthood, the priesthood of believers you know, that we all received in baptism, enables us to do. We have access to the Father so we can bring petitions to him. And there's no greater prayer than the Mass. And so even just something like asking you, you got something I can pray for, Danielle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what, Mike? My, my younger brother, man, just pray for him. Yeah, great, I'd love to. And so now all of a sudden we're all actively participating yeah. in the liturgy. Small thing, but it can make a big difference. Yeah, I'm I'm placing that intention on the altar. Exactly. With the bread and wine and the Lord can work tremendous things upon uh, with what's placed on the altar. Exactly. Yeah. Other question too, you who are the season of winter, what brings you hope and joy <laughs> <laughs> these it's days? It's probably going to rain again tomorrow. <laughs> 
and it's like a super sunny <laughs> day right now. Finally, not, not raining. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? what, what no, what, the what? question hope. was, what She's is asking about hope. hope and joy these days? Oh, the, Jesus is Lord. That's what brings yeah. me hope. And why is that important? Because the world doesn't know it. Mm, so, you yeah, know, so, true. so, so we, we're living in this culture, which is going through a strange phenomenon, right? We're for three years in a row now, the life expectancy in the U.S. has declined. First time in over 100 years. It, the last time I did it was uh, World War One and the Spanish flu. We don't have a war going on. We don't have a pandemic going on. What we have going on is the pandemic of despair. Mm-hmm. So life is genuinely just not worth living mm-hmm. for countless people. And we all, we've all been impacted by this. You know, I got suicide in my family. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're, yeah. we're dealing with people. I, I got depression in my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, life is hard, right? And so the culture, as God gets more and more eclipsed out of the, out of the picture, then you and I, who are made in his image and likeness, we necessarily lose our meaning and our significance. And, and even believers, as you're saying, right? Because we're part of this culture, because we live and work and move in this culture, we're affected by that kind of draining of the presence of God in all the places in our culture. Yeah, I mean, you know, the average listener right now, like, figure out how much time you've spent, you know, listening to or reading the news or blogs or whatever versus reading the Word of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's probably like 100 to 1, at least, right, for most people. And so, yeah, that has an impact on us. And so um, the gospel, because it's true and it's genuinely good news— like this really brings hope into people's lives when you know that you matter. Mm-hmm. Like God thinks you're worth fighting for and worth dying for. And he's got a plan for you. And he's holding your life right now in his hands. And he's holding everybody that you love in his hands. When you know that, not just hear it, but you know that, mm-hmm. you just live differently. You know, this section talks about evangelization leads to the Eucharist and the Eucharist leads to evangelization. I think about that with the source and summit, right? So the Eucharist is kind of the goal that we want to bring people to, but it also spurs us on, right? The mass ends with est, uh, like go in peace, right? Go proclaim the gospel or go she is sent. Like, right. The church is meant to be on mission and the Eucharist is what uh, both fuels us for mission, but is the, the goal that we want to bring people to. Yeah, so the image for me oftentimes walking into Mass is the image at the beginning of Saving Private Ryan when that World War II veteran walks into the cemetery. And so here's this old man who remembers what happened here on these beaches and who's buried here. And he heads immediately for a cross. And the cross is the cross of a man who saved his life. And everybody else around him, his his family, they don't have any clue why he's there or where he's going. But when we walk into Mass, like, that's supposed to be our posture. I'm about to be present again at the death and the resurrection of the God who made the universe, who loves me so much, he fought for me and rescued me from hell. And so that's, that's why every single week hope's given to me again. Yeah. Like, I, for some reason, I don't know why, I matter to God, and so do you. Mm-hmm. And so— that's, that's why God pulls me there in the midst of everything that's trying to pull me down and to drag me into despair. God's saying, no, 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 no. You're, you matter, son. Right. Like, this is what I've done for you. And then I'm sent out from there to tell everybody else that I'm going to meet this week who's feeling the way they do. Yeah. No, you matter. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't just for me. It's not just for the Catholic or for the Christians. Like, 
God fought for everybody. You're right. Mm-hmm. And I want to introduce you to him. You were talking about, you know, uh, inviting people in. And we talk about the summit of our lives, the Eucharist being the summit. But that takes work to stay in the presence of God in mm-hmm. that mass, like week by week or, you know, if you go more often than that, to like rekindle and stir up that awe-filledness, Absolutely. awesomeness of like, no, this isn't just ordinary mundane, yeah, I've heard that gospel before, or maybe my pastor is not the best preacher, or there's a little idiosyncrasy in this or that, or the music isn't the best, but something incredible is happening there, and it takes the work of um, staying in that and not kind of letting our minds drift or kind of letting the cares of the world weigh us down. How do you do that, Danielle, when you go to Mass? I... I was just thinking about how much I love going to mass, but also thinking about how hard it is when the rubber meets the road, right? Mm. Um, I mean, like, I'm, I do ministry too, but I also, like, I'm not a priest, so, like, uh, like I go to, like, the gym or whatever, and, like, people right. know that I'm, like, the weird one who's, like, has a faith experience, but but it's hard to, like, get people to the summit, you know what I mean? Like, I, or, or to want to go up the summit, right? Right, right. I'd, like... Like, this is just me being super, super honest. In a lot of these secular places where I interact, I have invited very few people to, like, come to a mass, right? Because it would be kind of confusing and overwhelming, like, all of those things. So what what does evangelization look like in that situation, right, where I'm, I'm not like, hey, why don't you just come sit at the feet of Jesus? Like, you want to do that? That's actually what you need. But how do you be that person in those situations? It's, it's tricky, right? How do you bring the message to, to places where people are maybe hostile to, to something that they think they already know? Like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to hear about it. Well, I don't know that you've heard it the way that it actually is. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, we're trying to, like C.S. Lewis would say, um, it's it's much harder to try to win the divorced woman to love than it is the person who's ever married. Because mm-hmm. one's got a really bad experience of love gone bad. And that's right. what we're dealing with in the culture oftentimes is we've, we've got a set of people who, like, they look at Christianity, you know what, nothing to see, move along. Yeah. Right. Because they, they've got an image in their head or in their life, whatever, of what it is. Right. right? They think they know it. Or right. a really bad experience, frankly. Yeah, yep. it could be yeah. based in reality yeah. of or their the news. experience. Sure. Which is not sure. great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Accurate. Right. So then what do we do in those situations, right? But I know what you want. That's yeah. the key, right? So, And that's the perpetually relevant nature of the gospel. Like you want to be insatiably loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I know him. Mm-hmm. Would you like to meet him? And that's where not to get into like a bunch of other markers, 6.2 of like accompaniment, but that's where the really hard work of like walking with people right. in all of that brokenness and maybe receiving their venom or receiving their mm-hmm. their challenges um, and staying with them, right? And saying like, I hear you. I'm sorry for what you've experienced. Um, but like the God who loves you this way is so much more than you know. And he's inviting you to, you know, to take a fresh look and to receive this with with new ears. And the Holy right. Spirit can give us the power right. to speak those words that can be heard. And the Holy Spirit's working in their lives to, right. to hear them. Let me say something real quick because the Spirit's got it on my head. So you just said um, you don't invite those people to Mass. And I would typically agree with you mm-hmm. at the same time because it's not a shallow entry point. At right. the same time, the Mass can be because it is so different. For somebody who's never experienced it, 
an amazing, I mean, it is the encounter with Jesus, right? right? But it can be for some people a profoundly rich experience, even if they've never gone to it. And then so you invite them and then you would take them out to breakfast afterwards and go, so, so what let, you me, let me unpack that right. for you. Let me tell you what where we were. Because mm-hmm. um, we weren't at, you know, Royal Oak Shrine. We were, we were at Calvary mm-hmm. and we were in heaven and God was talking and he was showing you your future and telling you your past. And it, it can lead to really rich conversations. It's especially happening with young people right now. They, they, they go into a rich experience of liturgy and they walk out looking at each other going, I've never seen anything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. That's totally different from what anything else in the culture offers. Yep. Father John, as we wrap up, do you, we usually ask our guests if they have a word of encouragement, a prayer, uh, anything they want to say to kind of uh, close out our, uh, our time together. Yeah, I might just encourage everybody again to uh, maybe be really grateful to the Lord for allowing us to be alive right now. You know, it's Churchill's line I think of a lot. Uh, These are not dark days. Mm -hmm. These are great days. So thank God that you're born right now and that you get to live in this and that we get to be – I mean, I've been part of the problem I know in my life too, but – Man, it would be nice to be part of the solution, you know, mm-hmm. and point people to the Lord. So let's, let's pray for a real spirit of gratitude and uh, thanksgiving to the Lord for choosing us to be heralds of the gospel right now in 2019. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks to Father John Ricardo, a.k.a. Father Winter, for sitting down with us and sharing his love for the Eucharist, what God's been doing in his life, and his love for pandas. And once again, before we say goodbye, if you liked this episode, please share it with your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your Trader Joe cashier. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Open Door Detroit. Help us unleash the gospel. Open Door Policy was produced by Ron Pangborn and the creative team of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Join us next time as we discuss brand recognition. So thanks for listening to Open Door Policy. What's that? Open Door Policy? That's that the us? name of the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Hey, that's what we are. <laughs> I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. Open Door Policy.